Cable news, noisy, boring, out of touch. That's why Salem News Channel is different. We keep you in the know. Streaming 24-7 for free. Home to the greatest collection of conservative voices like Dennis Prager, Jay Sekulow, Mike Gallagher, and more. Salem News Channel is unfiltered and unapologetic. Watch anytime, on any screen at snc.tv and local now channel 525 Welcome back to Bobberty Live. My telephone number is 877 Bob Live. And uh, that is the number that Rick in West Columbus called a long time ago. Rick, you've been very patient. You probably shaved twice and changed your socks at least once since you've been on hold. Thank you for your patience. Welcome. Yeah, I'm going to shave tomorrow, I think. <laughs> okay. Hey, All right, listen, thank Bob. you. Yes, sir. Uh, listen, I was kind of grappling. Um, I don't... Um, this Genesis chapter 6, I've been listening to different preachers like John MacArthur and and J. Vernon McGee and R.C. Spool, and they all seem to be different on this Genesis chapter 6, Sons of God, Daughters of Men, and and by implication, and then, and then this book of Enoch and all this kind of stuff. And um, can you kind of tie it together in how you how you think about it? <laughs> now, earlier somebody wanted to put me up against Greg Laurie, and now you're putting me up against Sproul and McCartney. Okay, I'm just kidding. Uh, Genesis 6, the uh, sons of God coming into the daughters of men. If you read 10 conservative Bible-believing scholars, you'll probably come up with 10 different viewpoints. Um, It is a confusing and somewhat controversial uh, portion of Scripture, Um, and I don't think anybody is absolutely positive about their interpretation. All right? Let me just say that first. The uh, the two primary interpretations when it says the sons of God came to the daughters of men were what what most conservative scholars say is that just means the ungodly people, uh, the followers of Cain, uh, married the daughters or, or pardon me, the godly daughters, okay, sons of God, the the godly. Men married the ungodly daughters, and because it was a mixed marriage spiritually, the kids were a a spiritual mess. That is the most common interpretation. The other common interpretation, although much, much more controversial, is that the sons of God were angels, and somehow they intermarried with human beings. Now, the reason for that is every other time that I know of in the Old Testament where you read the phrase sons of God, it is a clear reference to angels. All right. Every other time when you find sons of God, it was talking about angels. So why would Genesis 6 be different? Well, most, well, I don't know about most. Many people discount that simply because, wait a minute, wait a minute, angels could never have human relations, sexual relationships with human beings. We don't know that for sure. We don't know that. Uh, Other opponents of that theory say, well, 
Uh, the angels are genderless. Really? Why do you say that? Well, because Jesus said that uh, in heaven we will be like the angels, not given in marriage. Well, if all angels are male, then no, they would not be given in marriage. So, Rick, if I lean in any direction, I personally lean in the more controversial interpretation that these indeed were fallen angels that somehow, I don't understand, can't explain, somehow intermarried with humans, and they bore children who were, well, Genesis 6 says they were men of renown. They were men that were famous. They were men that were well-known. Well, why? I know a whole lot of saved and unsaved people that got married. None of them had famous kids. I don't know of a single person that was famous because one of their parents was godly and the other parent was ungodly. So it is a controversial interpretation. I wouldn't fight with anybody about it. It is probably one of the more bizarre interpretations. But I have always leaned that to this is where the giants came from. They were abnormal. They were unusual. I mean, Goliath was nine feet tall. Uh, How did that come about? Is it possible that this was because of the commingling of, of angelic beings and humans I think it's a possibility. So I lean toward that, but I am not adamant about it, and I certainly would not fight with anybody about it. Yeah, well, that's that's fascinating. Um, and I, I know you don't want to get too tied up in this, but the, the book of Enoch, is that is that Enoch of the line of Cain, that book that okay. you're talking about? Well, I'll just say this. I, I completely discount the book of Enoch. I put no stock, no trust in the book of Enoch at all. None. Because it did not, it clearly did not make it into the canon of Scripture. And I know my God well enough that if the book of Enoch was supposed to be part of the canon of God's Word, it would have made it. The fact that it did not indicates to me that it may have historical significance. It may have events in the book of Enoch that may be historically correct, but I do not in any way, shape, or form place it on the same level as the inspired, infallible, inerrant Word of God. And because of that, I have never even studied the book of Enoch simply because I, I just don't put any divine uh, authority in it. That's okay. my personal opinion. But can I ask you one sure. quick question? I don't want to tie you up too much. The The books of the Bible, who determined what books made it in there? How did that happen? Uh, well, the early church leaders did that, I think, under the divine direction of God. If Rick, if we believe that the Bible was given to us. Second Timothy 3.16, all Scripture is given by inspiration of God for profit, for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for in righteousness, etc. If we believe that the Bible is the God-breathed book, 
God's complete, total revelation to us, then I am absolutely confident that God who inspired it would make certain that all that was supposed to be given to us was given to us. Uh, I, I, it would be really tough for me to get into the details in like two minutes on the radio, but I would encourage you to do just a little inter, inter, uh, internet search on proof of canonicity. That's the, cult, the question, canonicity. Proof of canonicity. Uh, I'm teaching a course on Monday nights in a Bible institute on basic Bible doctrine. And last Monday, we the doctrine was the Bible. And uh, our, the textbook that I'm using is Basic Bible Doctrine by Charles Ryrie, R-Y-R-I-E. In his chapter on the inspiration of Scripture, he has an excellent portion on canonicity. Many others have as well, but his is particularly good. Uh, you can find a used copy of Charles Ryrie's Basic Bible Doctrine for six or seven bucks. A new one, I think, is just $13. And I think you can get a really, really good foundation on canonicity there. Or, again, uh, do a simple internet search. What is the proof of canonicity? Uh, you're going to find some bogus stuff there, but I think you'll find some uh, probably some good stuff as well. Well, um, and, and by the way, no one that I really trust believes that the book of Enoch is should be a part of Scripture. I don't know of anyone that is a conservative evangelical Bible scholar that would put Enoch in the canon of Scripture. I don't know of any. Well, I'm not trying to do that either. I just want to know how that Bible come together. I did look on the Internet, and I, everything I looked at is still as clear as mud to me. You know? Really? But I'll try to... Yeah, uh, get I mean, uh, get get Ryrie's book. It would be good to have on your shelf anyway and read it. It's dry as sawdust. It really is, but it's really theologically sound, and I think he particularly has a good portion on canonicity. All right, Doug, spell it for me, please. Charles Ryrie, R Y R I E, Charles Ryrie, and I believe the name is Basic Bible Doctrine. Well, I'll try to check it, it is, out. Bob. It has been Thank used you. in Christian colleges and universities for many years. It's kind of a classic on basic Bible doctrine. And that will tell me who, how the Bible got put together, and who determined. Well, well what, yeah, what books yeah. Be. I think it. I think it will help. Okay. All right. All right. Well, thanks, Bob. Thanks, Rick. Appreciate the call. Um, it is Open Phone Friday. Uh, yeah, we can we can talk about anything you want to talk about. I love the biblical issues. Hey, I don't have the answer to everything, but I'll tell you what I think and what I believe, and if I don't know the answer, I'll admit it. 877-BOB-LIVE. Talk radio that makes a difference. Makes a difference. This is Bob Bernie Live.
people again. Welcome to Bob Bernie Live, the Don Crow Show, and the Bill Bunkley Show. As we uh, simulcast today, it's Friday, and I always open the phones wide open on Fridays, and we've done that today. We can talk about anything you want to talk about. Uh, let's go back to the phones, and next up, I have Jane in Tampa, Florida. Hi, Jane. Welcome. Hello. Mm-hmm. How are you today? Fine, thank you. I was uh, addressing the question the gentleman had prior regarding who put the Bible together. Uh huh. And what I had always read was that during the um, the Roman Empire rule, that uh, the Caesars saw how much influence this man Jesus of Nazareth had over the the people in the rural area. And he formed the Council of Nicene that actually put the books of the Bible together in a form that he could use within the Roman Empire to bring these rural people in to Rome. Well, I, th- I think that was certainly part of it. Uh, there was also the Council of Laodicea way back in uh, three-something, the Council of Hippo, the Council of Carthage, uh, the early church debated vigorously what books of the Bible should be included in the canon of Scripture. And there's at least quite a bit of controversy about who made the final decision, when was the final canon of Scripture closed. And that's important, and I think it's really interesting to study. It's fascinating. But ultimately— the the real uh, proof is that God had his hand on the transmission of Scripture from the very beginning to the end. Here's just one example, 1 Thessalonians 2.13. Uh, it says, For this cause also thank we God without ceasing, because when you receive the Word of God. Now what's that? Paul's letter to the church at Thessalonica. That would be 1 Thessalonians. He said, For this cause also thank we God without ceasing, because when you received the word of God which you heard of us, you received it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth the word of God, which effectually worketh also in you that believe. That implies, Jane, very strongly that there were many, 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 many letters that Paul wrote here, Paul wrote there, But some of those letters were just considered from the very beginning unique, special. And he writes to the church at Thessalonica, when you receive that letter, you consider that not just another letter. You receive the Word of God as you heard it. You didn't receive it as the Word of men. And I think that there was... Almost immediately in the early church, an understanding this letter was more unique than that letter, and through uh, about two or three centuries, through the refining fire, God always uses refining fires, that this letter, that letter fell away, God purged, God perfected, and God has preserved his word for us. Uh, council in the sea, yeah, but there were other councils as well. Uh, 
and I know this is a very simplistic answer, but I'm a very simplistic person. If God promised that he was going to give us his word and said all scripture is given by the breath of God, then he would preserve it and protect it and make sure that today we have his word today. Does that make sense at all? Oh, no, I, I, I agree and support that. As okay. God says, neither add nor delete, delete yes. from these books. Yeah. Okay. Right. No, no. So we, no, there, I'm not arguing. I'm just asking. Oh, no, 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 no. And, no, uh, and, and I, I didn't know. I, no, I didn't mean to imply that you were arguing. No, 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 no. No. And I, I could, I could mention the other councils, but it was interesting because the government saw how influential this man of Nazareth was. And that and is. And they took it upon themselves. Yeah. And that is an excellent point. And it's, it's also interesting to know that God, throughout history, can and sometimes does use a corrupt government and even corrupt politicians for his purpose. Yes. Yes. It's Be- amazing the different instruments that God will use to bring you forward. Yes, mm-hmm. absolutely. I mean, look at look at Nebuchadnezzar, how God used that wicked king Nebuchadnezzar. Look how God used Pharaoh for his purposes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right, Jane, so, thank you. I appreciate so much your comments. Yes, sir. Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye-bye. All right, my number is 877-BOB-LIVE. 877-262-5483. There is a theory in philosophy that often the simplest answer is often the correct answer. When you get into the canon of Scripture, there are all kinds of things out there and theories about this and theories about that. If we believe, 2 Timothy 3.16, if we believe that, then God, using this council or that council or this government or that government, God made sure that we have his word. And I just have that much confidence in a sovereign God. All right, Ken in Florida, we'll come to you when we come back. 